Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Five Heart Podcast, brought to you by Coordination.com, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. I'm your host, Greg Mahochko, and joining me, whew, too sweet to be sour, the man of the hour, Hoss Reuter, Dr. Offense with a, a minor in defense, and he's excited to uh, flex his uh, associate's degree in special teams this week, right, Hoss? <laughs> That's good. That's good. Uh, I have to put that on a LinkedIn profile. There'd be there'd be a there'd be a D two school. What's that? No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say you you put that on on LinkedIn. uh, There'd be a D two school. Be like associate's degree in special teams. We need him. Let's get him over to UN University Nebraska Kearney. Kearney is a fine little town. I love Kearney. Cunningham's down on the bricks. Great burgers. The Kerry Coors Banquet, good place. Still trying to figure out how UNK rejected me for graduate school, but the big school, uni- the University of Nebraska, let me in. So I think it all worked out. That one out. All worked out for the best. Yeah. Oh god, yeah. Um, too sweet to be sour. Is that Dusty Baker, Dusty Rhodes, or was that <laughs> not Dusty Baker? <laughs> yeah, Dusty uh, Baker. I was like, wait, shit, baseball GM. No, that would be. Uh... Yeah, that, that would be the American dream. Dust to the roads, baby. I have wined and dined. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I had a DVD back in the day when I was a wrestling fan in my teens. Yeah, the documentary about him. Interesting guy. Yeah. Well, All right, let's dive in. Let's, because I have been monitoring the comments, and people don't like the chit-chat chat. So... Uh, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna just uh, pitter patter and get at her here. Uh, we were talking about this, and it's not like the top story or anything like this. But this is what we were talking about as as you jumped on the Zoom and you were very confused as to why I was just staring blankly at the screen. It's because I was watching the video from uh, a couple days back uh, of the uh, Nebraska's alternate uniform. Uh, hype video, I guess, if you want to call it that, that dropped in homage to the 83 scoring explosion uh, team, uh, Mike Rozier, uh, Turner Gill, uh, Dean Steinkuhler, et cetera. So uh, I was watching, I'm like, you know what? I like it. It's classic. It's not over the top. Uh, it's It feels like it fits. It feels like it's, it's going to be just another Saturday, but now that they can you know, maybe make a little extra cheddar, on selling some alternate uniforms. I like them too. And honestly, I think those should probably be our full-time uniforms. The ends on the sleeves, get rid of the stripes on the sleeves. And it's just a really clean look. I think some of the eighties ones also had like Huskers and big print across the front too. I don't know if they wore those, those ones in 83 with the big print on the front, but um, yeah, looks good. And they should, Bring back uh, some 80s logos for the apparel for the alternate uniforms like we were talking about earlier. The tilted helmet, script Huskers, best logo that we have. That would that, that particular design would have been on like the starter jackets of the day, would it not? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, starter jackets, like I know like I have a relic of a uh, old crew neck sweatshirt that was my dad's in the 90s with that logo on there. I mean – Come on, like retro is cool again. Let's go with that. So the Walmart looking new Herbie Husker, the new one, old school Herbie. I absolutely love. 
new Herbie absolutely hate. Don't get me started on a little red. And the interlocking <laughs> NU logo looks like a cheap ripoff of Oklahoma or the University of Utah. Like, I know that's been around technically since like the 1950s, but it's just, it's not a good look. Hoss, I, I have to ask you while we're talking about logos and, and things like that, in, in all honesty, what are your thoughts on the classic? See, I love that. I love that logo because it's in the spirit of that tilted helmet script Huskers logo. You know, it's it's just timeless. And I can't believe I'm going into detail on a football podcast about graphic design, but here we are. <laughs> And, and for for those of you uh, not watching the YouTube, but just listening to the podcast, I'm wearing uh, a black shirts T-shirt, my black shirts T-shirt, which, by the way, I'm I'm almost due for a replacement. Uh, the screen print you on that this. thing at Stephen Berry's in Lincoln back in like 2005. I uh, know. Um, can I give? I, I guess I can give a free plug. Cornborn. Oh yeah, I remember that. So. I got uh, this shirt from them. I think I got my uh, my old school Herbie shirt from them as well. I'm, that might not be the case, but this this, this for sure. And then, oh, I know what it was. It was this black shirt. And then uh, when my oldest was a, a baby or a toddler, I got him a, a couple of Husker shirts as well. That now my twins have outgrown. So that's how long that that's how much I am due for uh, an upgrade in Husker apparel. But as we were talking before we started uh, rolling sound. Ah, that three stripe life not so good on the fan apparel hoss. No, there again we're talking graphic design on a football podcast, but I every year I do the same thing. It's the late July, early August. I'll go to Shields, Husker Hounds, wherever carries you know Adidas Husker apparel, and buy a new shirt, new hoodie, something for the season. As a hat guy, I'm pretty loyal to hats. I have the old school Herbie one that I bought in eighteen. That that thing is. Not the same color it was when I bought it. You know, <laughs> I'll put a picture on Twitter or something. It's it's tan when it was charcoal gray when I first bought it. I just worn it outside so much, you know, in the summer. But yeah, Adidas, man, like some of these designs, they must just. And I hate to sound like old man yells at cloud right now, but I'm going to. I mean, is their marketing design department just solely dedicated on researching what's popular for like? Gen Zers or something because I mean this stuff it's like yeah I'm 31 years old I don't want to wear that shit like right. it's ridiculous give me a simple crew neck sweatshirt and on the left chest Adidas logo on the right chest boom there you go nothing fancy it and simple clean in this conversation you get all all uh, spurned out of uh, the the alternate jersey which for years I mean they've they've talked about these alternate uniforms. Uh, as you know, recruiting tools and oh, if you change up your look, then the recruits are really good. I don't know if, and, and maybe it's just because I'm 40. Yeah, I'm 40. And not, I'm not even half as uh, uh, young as or half as old as John. So we don't have to worry about that. Um, but being that I'm 40, I don't, you know, I obviously I, I don't think like a 16, 17, 18 year old kid, but I can't imagine that you know, like the look on the field would impact my decision. Am I, am I wrong on that? Is that just the, the old disenfranchised uh, old man mentality or when, when you're recruiting or being recruited by Nebraska, is it, 
you know, how can I, how, how do, how does their scheme fit what I bring to the table? How can they help get me to the next level? And, and are we a good fit? You know, is it a hand in the glove situation? Not a, not a Jersey on the torso type of situation. Yeah, I think it's just a case of getting older and focusing on what's truly important. You know, you're there to play football. You're there to win games and prepare yourself for the next level in life, whether it be in the NFL or just going to work in a career. Basically just maximizing who you are. Your potential is who you are. I think a jersey would be secondary to that. I mean, the alternate uniform craze came about because Oregon was wearing, you know, 368 different combinations of uniforms back in, like, starting in 2007. They are on the cutting edge. Nobody else was doing that, really. I mean, you had Notre Dame wearing their Kelly Green stuff every once in a while, but you can't really think of too many schools that had an alternate uniform altogether. And then it just kind of took off from there. And I think think it kind of played itself out probably – I don't know, four or five years ago. Now everybody does it. I mean, and I think it's kind of, I like how, and you can't do much with just red and white in no. terms of alternate uniforms. So, you know, it's, it is what it is, but I like how we're starting to kind of look at, you know, honoring, you know, past teams, you know, we're wearing, we wore the 1997 throwbacks back in 2017. Now we're wearing the 1983 ones. We've worn the 1918 throwback uniforms and, back in 2018, which were actually really sharp mm-hmm. in person. I was at that Illinois game. But, um, you know, we have the black shirts one, but I don't think it needs to be anything crazy. Um, unless, of course, you know, I've always said a flat matte white helmet, you know, would look be a nice contrast with the gloss red. But, I mean, you're always going to see subtle changes with Nebraska's uniforms, barring going, you know, the black shirt scheme. I think the last – year that they offer or not offer, but the last year that they have an alternate Jersey, they should just go whole hog. All right. We're the corn Huskers. You know what that helmet's going to look like? It's going to be yellow kernels of corn right there with the, with the N just once, just once, just, I, you know what, even at the time I'd be like, this is a horrible idea, but I think that would officially bury the notion of alternate uniforms forever, forever. What uh, was you know, it? you got to wear them against, like, Illinois. Yeah. yeah. I, I I didn't even see when they were planning on, on busting those bad boys out. I th- I believe, I don't know if it's for certain, but I believe it's the Oklahoma game. Okay. Well, that, that'd be, you know, fitting, I, I think. I mean, we also could wear them against Minnesota because we scored 84 points against Minnesota in 1983. That'd be a nice, you know. F you to old uh, P- PJ Fleck. He's a, he's a hell of a coach. I can't diss on him. Uh, yeah. I, you know what? I Now that you're back, I need you to be more bitter and angry about other teams in the conference. I can't I need- <laughs> be bitter and angry until we do anything. Just something. Beat Northwestern convincingly. Start three and zero. Beat Oklahoma. Okay, I might start drinking the Kool Aid, but I am fully to the point now where I'm like, <laughs> don't tell me about the labor. Show me the baby. It's been the same thing for the past <laughs> four years. I'm tired of it. This is a results oriented business. Do it. Do or do not. You know, it's like John Taffer and Bar Rescue said. I don't embrace excuses. I embrace solutions. I'm tired of the excuses. 
Frost saying the our game plan went out the window when Illinois lined up in an odd front. Then you got Matt Lubick saying, no, it was – we had plays in the playbook. Right. I'm tired of those excuses because anybody with half a, you know, brain cell of football intelligence knows that you have blocking rules built into your blocking schemes on, okay, if they're in an odd front, if the player's lined on – you know, if there's a B-gap bubble on both sides and the tackles in the center are covered up, okay, we go with our covered, uncovered rules. You just don't scrap the whole damn thing out the window. I mean, like, so I got to see some progress before I start becoming the uh, bitter old war horse <laughs> that I was in 2017 and 2018. I, and I'm just too much of a fan of football. In general, you know, like, obviously, I love Husker football. Sure. But when it comes to just football in general, you know, I just, uh, if somebody's good, as much as I don't like them personally because they beat my team, like, I got to tip the hat. I I thoroughly enjoyed yours and John's conversation last week about the defense, and I think it it gave certainly myself and, and probably a lot of others uh, a better appreciation for defensive linemen. And I know we had mm-hmm. talked uh, in the past about Bill Parcells' uh, big man theory, but in 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 the course of that conversation, it, it was it, it kind of. And I think John was was guilty of uh, being under the assumption that you know, like the big guys up front are, are just the meatheads with, without a whole lot uh-huh. between the ears. And you you uh, debunked that theory. So I do have a question for you, and maybe you answered it. Uh, and, and I don't want I, I don't want you to slant negative, but maybe you answered it uh, in the course of last week's conversation. Okay. If if defensive linemen are smarter than we would have anticipated in today's in the modern college football mm-hmm. game, who would possibly be regarded as or, or what position group would be regarded as uh, the one where you needed the least amount of intelligence or, or, or football savvy, maybe. Honestly, I said, probably have to say running back. Hmm. You know, at that position, God given athleticism can cover up a lot of shortcomings. I mean, you see it if you have a subpar offensive line, but a really good back, i.e. Amir Abdullah, Rex Burkhead, those kinds of guys, they can still go for anywhere from 1,300 to 1,700 yards, even running behind a subpar offensive line just because of their natural talent. And then, I mean, they're being told – the naming process for place has changed considerably in the past 15 years, but like back under the Tom Osborne era, it could be like, Pro right 41 pitch. Okay. Running backs, the four, the hole that it's aimed, that the play is going towards is the one on the far right. 41 tells the back where to go. There's memorizing steps, but they're not memorizing names, you know, things like that, you know, names of the plays. They have to read some defensive alignment, but they're not making pre-snap checks and reads as often. That's changed a little bit in more of a shotgun spread game with, uh, you know, being able to see the front seven and picking out who your responsibility is and pass protection based on is it a half slide, full slide, big on big protection, all those things. So I think that when you really think about what position can get away with not not being as football savvy, it's definitely running back. When I was thinking about this earlier this week uh, to myself, I thought, Maybe running back for for a lot of the reasons, but then I also 
thought that sometimes, you know, running back got to step in there and, and, you know, plug a gap uh, from, from a blocking standpoint, you know, for, for any, any pass protection. So I thought, I thought based on, on the way the conversation and I, like folks, I'm not asking this question to, to shit on any particular, uh, you know, unit on, on the team, but, Based on the the nature of the conversation last week, uh, I would have thought maybe defensive back. No uh, coverage. You want to talk advanced calculus? Okay, coverage. all right, all right. Oh my gosh! Like it, it just, it just it, maybe, maybe DB. You're switching on the fly, so your procedural knowledge of what you're doing on the play, you might think, okay, they're in two by two. I'm to the boundary. I'm aligned. You know outside the, you know, between the hash and sideline on the boundary, that's my guy. You know, uh, you know, after five yards, if he's still running straight at me at five yards, that's my guy. It's man-on-demand coverage. And then maybe there's a switch. Maybe there's an in-cut or an out-cut. Maybe he steps back to screen. Everything's changing on the fly as they're going 100 miles an hour after the ball is snapped. So I think that's why, like, that's a good example of how, Nick Saban is such a tyrant when it comes to teaching defensive back play because, I mean, there's so much that they have to account for, and the game's only getting more wide open as time goes on. So you're seeing a lot of different route combinations, and you're seeing some elite athletes that you're going up against. Um, At the other end of the spectrum, I mean, it's no secret quarterback play. Quarterback is the position that requires the most football savvy and intelligence. I mean, Bruce Arians in his book, The Quarterback Whisperer, talks about how a good, successful quarterback has to have the study habits of like a Harvard doctorate student. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they have to be absolutely consumed by it. They have to know the information inside and out. And it's a, it's a sheer volume of information they have to know. They have to know their stuff, what the offense is doing, you know, run plays, pass plays, steps, reads, progressions, all that. But then they also have to know what the defense is doing, alignments, um, coverages, blitz tendencies, personnel, personnel mismatches. And then, you know, they might have to get to a point where they're starting to anticipate, okay, it's third and three. We're on the boundary. We're inside our own 20. This team likes to run a boundary cornerback blitz. So I got to be on the lookout for that and, you know, alert the receiver to that side or check into something else altogether um, at the line of scrimmage. So in quarterbacks, you talk about, you know, there's studies where they do brain scans like London cab drivers to see how wide they're, how they know 3,000 possible routes around central downtown London. Sure. Well, those brain scans show that they have a larger hippocampus in their brain. The anatomical structure is actually larger in their brain compared to the brains of just normal, everyday working class Joes like you and I. Hmm. I bet if somebody did that for quarterbacks, quarterbacks would have the same increase in hippocampal volume. Again, folks, I'm not here to, to degrade, downplay the importance of the defensive backs. It just occurred to me when they, when so much focus last week was being given to uh, defensive linemen, and, and 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 maybe maybe it's just that it was the first time that linemen got their their true due respect, uh, in, in intelligence and uh, in, intelligibility uh, speaking, but. It, it sounded that through the course of, of last week's conversation between you and John that it was like, oh, you know, similar to a running back, you know, if, if they're if they're physically talented enough, they can overcome a lot of things. But through the course of your response here, Hoss, I, I you're right, because 
everything that a, def- that a defensive back does is so reactionary that they have to be able to, you know, do so many calculations at once to to make sure they're in the right spot, defending the right guy, etc. So again, that was no disrespect to defensive backs. Well, I, no. I, you know, I mean, short of like the 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 placeholder, you know, I didn't know if if you know placeholder. Hey, that that job as a placeholder, you know, is ninety nine percent boredom, one percent sheer terror. But no, you <laughs> th- th- thank you for. Thank you for bringing this conversation about the defense up. I had something written down. I was reading the press conference that Eric Chenander had earlier this week after their big weekend scrimmage. And he said that one of the things that he was most impressed with was how well the defense communicated and they were able, there was no difference in their execution in terms of alignment between their base defense, nickel defense, and dime defense. And that's a point where I don't want to get too deep in the weeds. I've already gotten deep in the weeds with educational psychology, talking about functional brain scans of hippocampal volume. But procedural knowledge, the knowledge of how to do something. You have declarative knowledge, you have procedural knowledge. Declarative knowledge is what something is. So Greg's hat is red. Procedural knowledge is how to do something. Okay, Minnesota's in a three-by-one with the Y, the tight end, <laughs> attached off the line of scrimmage. What are we going to align into? And I refer- I'm specifically referencing Minnesota because we had some serious alignment issues against them last year. And some of them were by design. We got into a tilt front a few times to try to take away the cutback lane on duo and on inside zone. And other times we just struggled to align properly because the player – themselves were not aligned. So we are having issues with our safeties, you know, being too far width-wise outside the box. We had a little bit too tilted where one was fitting down inside the box. One was playing the one high, but he was all the way removed across the field from the trips. So that procedural knowledge of knowing how to align, I think, is really important for this year's defense to just go out there and execute. Alignment is nine like possessions nine tenths of the law alignment is nine tenths of football yeah alignment assignment execution if your alignment is correct you're closer to executing your assignment properly once you you're aligned and you know your assignment that's where just natural football ability and development can take over so the fact that this defense is not showing any drop off between base nickel and dime that's huge because nickel and dime, I've been saying this for years on this podcast, that's situational football. We've Our Achilles heel for the past however many years has been playing good situational football. If it's third and eight and they're in a bunch formation and we're in nickel, we better know exactly what our bunch checks are. Are we blitzing the formation? Are we calling off blitz? Are we getting into a different coverage? Where's the ball on the field? You know, on the hash or, you know, towards the boundary or is it towards the field? You know, all those things. So I'm very encouraged by that. And that's the mark of a good coach. You know, in football, there are no secrets in football. You exchange film with the other team. Everybody's running the same basic, basically the same schemes, whether it's blocking schemes or coverage schemes, blitzes, all that stuff. It's all about two things. When you call it in a game and how well do you teach it? Hmm. So for the procedural knowledge of being able to get in and out of all these sub packages without any drop off that right there tells me 
that Eric Shenander is doing a really good job of teaching this defense so that these guys know what to do to go out there and execute. Sorry, I ran there. No, no, it's great. And I, I have a, a follow-up question, but I wanted you to go back to uh, those those words you used at the very beginning. Uh, procedural. Procedural knowledge and declarative knowledge. So it, it, I, if I'm oversimplifying it, and, and if I'm wrong, please tell me, it's knowing what something is ver- and versus knowing how or why something is right. So in the yep. old, the old adage that, that, that I like is, is um, like knowledge versus wisdom. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad, you know? Yeah, that's, that's perfect. That That's a good encapsulation. <laughs> You've developed procedural knowledge over a lot of years based off of what the declarative knowledge. I, that's good. I'm going to you write that one down. Thank you. Thank you. It's it's nice that I can educate you for a change. <laughs> no, hey, I want to go back. I'm open to all sorts of information. When we go back, and, and this is what I'm about to bring up is a subject. It, it is from the past, but I'm not, you know, trying to, uh, you know, relive the glory days. But it was often said in the 90s yeah. uh, that, uh, you know, by, by players or coaches, probably mostly by players with a little bit of that bravado, that. Hey, you know what? Uh, that Husker offense, the toughest defense that they faced all season long, was the Husker defense in practice. The, the toughest offense that that the defense faced was the Nebraska offense in practice. And when times are good, that's great. You know, when you know you're coming off of you know national championships or you know uh, twenty plus years of of eight, nine wins, you know, with, with the schedules being what they are at the time, you know, it was fewer games, but nine, 10 wins and, and uh, 11 wins, but sustained success. When we fast forward to recent years and you either it's, you know, a controlled scrimmage, like the, the red, white game, the spring game, or, you know, it, what we're, well, we're basically just in now, which is, you know, preparation now for Northwestern. I think we're turning the page uh, uh, this coming week, looking you know towards Northwestern. But can you, if if, if the defense is, is you know holding firm and and standing pat and and having success, is it is it because the defense is as good as we expect them to be with with all the additions, or is it because the offense hasn't found their rhythm yet? Is, is there if one side of the ball is is proving to be more dominant in practice. Is that a concern or is it just, is it because of their, they're not playing as good of, of competition in practice or is it because they're, they're an outstanding, you know, unit of football. Any, any thoughts on my uh, rambling there? <laughs> I think it's probably, I actually, I wouldn't call that a ramble. It was very articulate. I, I followed along the entire time. Thank you. <laughs> um, I think it's probably a little bit of both. Defense playing really well, having experience, you know, all that experience and the coaching staff on that side of the ball, having some new additions. And then I think the other side of it, I mean, it could, for all we know, the offense could be really bad. You know, we're, we're not down there in practice, so we haven't seen it. But I'm more willing to bet that it's an offense that's still trying to find its sea legs, so to speak. When you have new coaches, 
new players, new quarterbacks, um, new uh, new offensive coordinator, not even just new position coaches, and you're marrying kind of two visions of what you want the offense to be together, you know, Whipple's passing game and some maintaining some elements of the running game from under Frost. Um, I think there's a lot of inexperience there from you just don't have live game rooms yet. So hopefully pre- preparing through practice against our defense for the duration of fall camp has prepared them, you know, to get ready to play a Big Ten conference game. And what, by the time this episode airs, eight days from now. But, um, yeah, I think it's it's a little of both. A little, little bit of both because defense is always going to be a little bit ahead of the curve through fall camp just because of the nature in which defense is played. It's not just, you know, read and react, you know, going, you know, just balls to the wall without thinking about what you're doing. But once you understand, hey, no matter what they're doing, like for defensive line, no matter what they're doing, these are your keys based on what alignment we're in. You know, one of those things. Is that is that a standard across the board or is that a Nebraska specialty? Like is it is it because the the defensive side of things is a little bit more as a unit, coaching staff, et cetera, it, it has a little bit more of, of cohesion from from just being here at Nebraska. At you know, I know they're newer pieces, um, but uh, or is this something that's college football wide? I think it's probably defense being head of the offense, probably college football wide as practice starts. Um, but I think that in our case, our you know individual experience as a program that having all that turnover on one side of the football and then having almost complete, you know, stability on the other side, aside from some, you know, some players leaving, going to the NFL draft, you transferring out. Um, I think that's probably what magnifies the issue a little bit more because like I said, you know, offensive side of the ball, they're adjusting to a new language still. So whole new way of doing things. They're they're developing new procedural knowledge that they haven't had a chance to <laughs> test out in a live game situation. Scrimmages are supposed to simulate test conditions. Everybody knows that it's, you know, it does, but it's just not quite the same. It it won't be real until, you know, Casey Thompson, you know, gets free and and your or you know takes a shot or or you know whomever is is the running back at the at the you know like just that that first real pop uh, of the football season you know that that's when you know we're here you know we're not in Kansas anymore we're in Ireland that, that that's gonna be fun um I have questions I I, I feel like a little bit's gonna be jumping the gun ahead of next week uh with with. Todd and John. Um, but in the event that I'm not here this week, I'm going to go ahead and, and pick your brain now. As we look okay. to Northwestern, as you said, eight days away from the time this episode drops, what are your, it, it, and maybe, maybe it, we can look a little, you know, zoom out on, on the microscope. Maybe this is a little bit more macro. And we're, we'll get into predictions next week, whether I'm here or not. But what are your honest expectations for Nebraska football 2022? 
go to a bowl game. I don't mean I, seven and five. Is so that well, that that's what, that's what expectation expectations in what way? Right, and I was gonna say, and and your response was like the super paint with broad strokes, but how how do you see? I'm trying again. I'm trying like, to ask. What do the, I expect? How this team to play? Like, yeah, is that what you're asking? Like, what yeah, do I expect let, to see game to game? And and again, without without getting into the game to game predictions, which we'll do next week, but how hmm. do you? Uh, with that oddball trip to Ireland aside, and then a couple of uh, uh, you know pay-to-play games uh, of against some FCS schools after that, and then Oklahoma comes to like, how do you see this team growing as as a team over the the next two months? Well, first and foremost, eliminate turnovers. Take care of the football. You. The other team's already trying to beat you. Don't give them any help. The second one, be the more physical team. And that can – being the more physical team doesn't mean that you're going to be more talented than they are because, you know, like Oklahoma's recruited better than we have. You know, we've recruited well, but Oklahoma's just in that next tier. And along with, like, the Michigan, you know, Michigan kind of program. Uh, Wisconsin and Iowa recruited their same level. But be the more physical team. Physically beat people up in games. Be clean execution-wise. No dumb pre-snap procedural penalties. No late hits out of bounds. If you get called for holding, fine. That's an effort penalty. Anybody can live with an effort penalty because you're trying to get something done. You don't want to live – you don't want to have to live with just stupid penalties like what we saw over the years from, you know, guys like Char – I'm totally drawing a blank on what that DB's name was. Number 21. Graduated here in 19. Charles Jackson? Sure. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, he gets a dumb late hit penalty against Purdue, not wipes an interception off the board. Or just some of the stupid stuff that we've seen over the years. Targeting penalties. From the safeties, the two safeties that graduated last year, Deontay Williams and Markel Dismute. You don't want to see those. We can argue what targeting is another time because we all are wondering the same thing because some stuff, you know, doesn't look like it should be targeted. Your mileage but may vary. No dumb penalties. Execute. Be more physical. Win the kicking game. You know, if you get outrushed by your opponent, you still win the game. Who gives a shit? You know, if you got outrushed, you won the game. If they throw for more yards than you, but you still win the game, who gives a shit? You won the game. But the kicking game, if you're starting at your own 10 on average and your opponent's starting at your own at their own 41-yard line, you're going to be in trouble because you're not going to win the game. That's a stat that's often overlooked, and we need to rectify that because too many times in the past four years we have been playing tight games in the shadow of our own goalposts. To that point, Hoss, you're absolutely right. I feel like, especially in recent memory, but probably within the last decade, which I know for for most people's technically recent memory, but I got a shit memory. Uh, Nebraska has had it, this, you, especially when you look at the games that that were L's, you know, at the end, the inability to flip the field, where mm. you're always in your own side of of, of your your own half of the fifty. And you have no 
no room for error for a team that, you know, historically had made a lot of errors, you know, uh, just being able to breathe a little bit, uh, make, make the other, it, this was a great point that you made uh, last week with John was Chenander's philosophy of making them earn it by, by eliminating the big plays, you know, because by, by, you know, law of numbers, if they're out there, you know, for 10 plays on a drive or more, there's a chance that they're going to mess up. Whereas if they hit a home run on the second play, you know, you're, yeah, you, your offense gets back out on the field, but, but to, because the other team scored in, in a big, mm-hmm. big, dare I say, embarrassing manner. So, yeah. Yeah. Psychologically damaging, man. Um, yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't be going the distance, having to go the distance the entire field to score. You got to be able to play, win the field position game because I think your your chances. I forget who did the study, but your chances of scoring go through the roof when you're starting at even your third, the thirty yard line, your own third compared right. to your own twenty. And so, if you can win the hidden yardage and not play a game in the shadow of your own end zone, like the 2019 Nebraska Iowa game, where I mean, it felt like it was a cause for celebration if we crossed midfield um, just <laughs> oh, because sad. everything was back on one end. Um, yeah, uh, I, that's why I'm really excited about what Bill Bush can do with the special teams unit and find a way to uh, get extra possessions, basically. You know, steal a possession or two because, hey, they've got, you know, third and 13 on their own 10-yard line. You know, they're, they're in the shadow of their own end zone. They punt, we get the ball at the our own 35, our own 40, and you're how, – how's a good way to put this? You're shortening the game because you're able to drive the ball down and score covering less distance. You're effectively ending the game sooner. Like, I need to flesh that one out a little more because it sounds better in my head than it does when I talk about it out loud. There is uh, – no, that's great. Um uh, I'm trying to – I remember – now, this is NFL, so, you know, I apologize. Um, but I look at – I think it's the 2009 uh, – it would have been 2000 – crap. would have been the 2008 season culminating in uh, the 2009 Super Bowl. Yeah, that's that tracks. Um, Are you talking about New Orleans Saints, Indianapolis Colts? Nope, not crap. What what am I um, talking about? Uh, the Super Bowl that was played in two thousand nine, sir. Uh, oh, Steelers. But I, I I say that because in the pre, in the postseason in the playoff game against the San Diego Chargers, uh, they came out uh, in that fifteen minute third quarter. Pittsburgh had possession of the ball for over 12 minutes. I mean, when you talk about shortening the game, they literally took, I mean, they took the ball out of Phillip Rivers' hand. And, and that's what I like. I like sustained drives. And, and it gets to my next question for you is, when you look back at tendencies, when you look back at, at you know, certainly the past four years at, at Nebraska and then, excuse me, before that at UCF, 
is Scott Frost more of a sustained drive guy or a, or a, a swing and, and hit the home run guy? Uh, that all depends. That all depends on what year you're talking about and who he's got at quarterback. Because that's fair. In 17 at UCF, they could do both. They could score on the big play. They could also grind out sustained drives. In 18, in 18 at Nebraska, I'd say we were a little bit more. It was weird because we'd hit big plays, but we wouldn't necessarily score on them. It was more right. of a about, um, sustained drive. 19, that was just an abysmal offense to watch at Nebraska. Uh, we'd score on big plays, but we had a lot of problems sustaining drives. In 2020, I've tried to scrub that entire football season from my memory because you know, how weird it was with COVID. Exactly. And then 2021 – it was the by hook or crook find a way to score somehow. Sometimes we'd hit a big play. Sometimes we'd just cobble together a drive. We'd miss a field goal. We'd overthrow somebody. I mean, like that that team last year had a lot of quirks. It's hard. It's hard to define that one. You know, whether it was a big play or you know sustained drive team. I almost feel like that. I'm not making an excuse. I'm not being superstitious. But last year's team felt very snake bit. Yes, and and, Very and to the that, Buffalo game is a le- great example. Last year, we win that game twenty-eight to three, but we had what three touchdowns called off the board? One, two because of penalties. One because of so a near, one was a near touchdown, and then we missed three field goals. So that's twenty-one. That's thirty points. I mean, you beat Buffalo fifty-eight to three. That looks a hell of a lot better than beating them twenty-eight to three. Right. I again, I'm not. Here as an apologist, I'm not, you know, the man's defender or knight in shining armor, but you could say that going back to year one with missing that game against Akron and then having to open up against Colorado, that not to say, I mean, that that anything would have changed if if they if they play that that lightning cancel game, but there has been you know, you, then you mentioned the COVID year. There has been uh, just a lot of uh, oddity around Scott Frost's time in Lincoln. That is true. You know, the lightning strike and all that. But in terms of COVID, hey, 118 other teams had to deal with it too. You know, and we still crowned a national champion that year. So you got to find a way to overcome those things. But I'm not. I'm not disagreeing. I, um, I when when we you talk know that about- I always try to reel, reel it back in. I miss the days of being a homer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm begging this football program, please give me a reason to drink the Kool-Aid again. Right. <laughs> All I'm asking. It, like I'm willing, but I'm not gonna do it under my own volition. I what would it take? We I can't say week one, week zero. What would it take from Nebraska's performance against Northwestern in Ireland for you to be like, all right, hand me that jug. I'm ready for the Kool-Aid. What would what would the statement have to be? What would that final score have to look like for you to be like, well, that's a Big Ten team in on neutral ground in a completely different country. What would that look like? Or what would that have to look like for you to be like, well, skip. Uh, pass me, pass me that uh, red solo cup of Kool Aid. I'm ready. 
Okay, it would have to take a win like last year against them, fifty-six to seven. You know, so a fifty-six seven, and I won't even say that astronomical <laughs> of a score. Um, I'd say we go to Ireland and we win something like forty-two twenty-four, forty-two twenty-one. Yeah, I'd be like, okay, but then I'd also be thinking, boy, that team was three and nine last year too, Northwestern. So I, my, my enthusiasm would be tempered. But if you want to ask what it would take for me to just be like, you know, belly up to the bar and get a big, nice, tall pint glass of Kool-Aid, <laughs> it'd be beating Oklahoma. And not only just beating them. Obviously, I'll be drinking the Kool-Aid if we beat them by one point. But if we beat Oklahoma something like 31-17, you know, jumped on them early and just, you know, didn't let up, that's when I'd be, you know, Basically doing a Stone Cold Steve Austin beer bash with the big red cooler. <laughs> but, and that's not being a bandwagon fan. It's just being a little apprehensive and acknowledging, like, we have a lot of question marks. And as somebody who's not only a fan of Husker football, but also just a fan of the game of football, you know, I like to evaluate, you know, what I'm seeing and, you know, really, for lack of a better term, get really empirical about it. And that's where I have such a hard time drinking. Because I see one thing where I'm like, mm, that's not that's not a good product, and then my fandom's like, well, just you know, drink a little bit of the Kool Aid. It's like, no, I you know, not to pat myself on the back too much here, but it's like I know too much about the game at this point to drink the Kool Aid, but I want to, I want to drink the Kool Aid. We we're ready for you to come back. To- yeah, I am too. <laughs> to like I, at this point, like. I almost feel like it's this segments like uh, Robin Williams talking to Matt Damon and Goodwill Hunting. It's not your fault, you know. Like that's what it feels like. And that's where you know I I have to throw this disclaimer out because in no way am I comparing being a fan, you know, to any of the more traumatic experiences that people go through in life. But it it's it's a situation where. It's tough to trust because we've been hurt before. <laughs> once know? bitten and twice shy. It's like fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Now, I will say, you know, even though I don't drink the Kool-Aid as the parlance is, it doesn't mean like I don't. I, it doesn't mean that I'm not as passionate about Husker football. I mean, for crying out loud, I'm on a podcast. You know, I, I, I'm a co-owner, co-host. I don't know what the <laughs> word would be um, of a podcast. Um, so, like, I'm, I'm passionate about something. Like, last year's Michigan game, I haven't hurt like that after a loss in a long time. Like, when I was leaving that game, I was thinking, man, this feels like being at that 2006 Texas game when Terrence Nunn fumbled on third and three, like it, that, that Michigan game is going to stick with me for a long time. That one hurt, but I want a reason to be excited. Again. I, you know, I want to get back to the point where, you know, when I travel and I see somebody in a Missouri Tigers t-shirt <laughs> that I feel the urge to talk shit to them or an Iowa Hawkeye. Lord knows, like I see enough Iowa Hawkeye gear on a daily basis in Omaha. It's like, I want to be able to talk shit to those guys, and I can't because, well, they've had scoreboard over us for the past seven years. I feel like this is going to be a fun conversation for next week when we have John and Todd here. Um, Can we, as fans, 
get beyond our our Nebraska nice and just start with seething anger and hatred toward every other team in the conference? I would love that. Okay. And I I don't know if I should say next what I was gonna say, but uh, you know, is is that something? Is that something? Nebraska, <laughs> last Nebraska game I was at um, that we lost. I'm not gonna name the name of the team. Um, just know it was last year and it was a loss. Um, Had plenty to choose from. Ah, God, I'm just going to stop there. <laughs> uh, you know, it's not even that bad. As Iowa fans are doing their IOWA cheer as, you know, we were all walking out after the game, I just decided to flip them the bird as I was walking by. So, yeah, the double bird, actually. You know, <laughs> you know what, though? Somewhere uh, uh, Ryan Tweedy uh, approves. Like, oh, like, oh, yeah. He he he's not listening. Like it's uh it's like the that gif that clip from that movie with Robert Redford where he looks and he smiles approvingly, like nods and smiles. Um, yep. Oh, Jeremiah Johnson. There, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I I've never yeah, seen the movie. So, I mean, I'm just like, you know. walking out of that game. You know, you think you're gonna win. To boot, it was on my 31st birthday. My birthday landed on Black Friday last year, and yeah, I mean they they were just cheering and it wasn't like i'm right next to him inside a fight i'm down on the ground level outside by the tom osborne statue and in the stands way up high in the north end zone they're leaning over cheering so i just flipped him the double bird and kept it pushing i mean i would have expected the same thing if i was chanting go big red in iowa city after we came back and beat them you know so all's fair in love war and the big 10 west hatred and that is it's I feel like we talk about, you know, our, our rivalry with uh, Oklahoma, which was always out of respect and civility, not so much with Colorado because Colorado's a bunch of douchebags. Uh, but you step into the Big Ten, and it's just, and you guys made a great point of it, of it last week. It's a meat grinder, and and everybody hates everybody. And I just want to be a part of that. You know, and and when you're three and nine, and and when you're you know on the on the bottom half you of the like conference, you're on the outside looking in. Exactly, exactly. I want I want teams to not laugh at us or feel sorry for us. I want them to hate us, uh, because you know we're we're kicking their teeth in every week. Well, it's, it's the same principle that if uh, coaches in your conference say that you need to keep your coach, it's not because he's a good coach; it's because they really like to beat him. Yeah. 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 Well, that about sums it up. But I have a whole list of predictions here that I have written for next week. I don't know if we're doing it game by game or we one are game at a time this year. I, oh, I think I think the plan is doing all at once. Well, I know we've always done, you know, like that that game week prediction, but mm-hmm. I think uh we've always also historically said, All right, first up it's Northwestern. You know, who do you think is good? Because in, inevitably, at the beginning of the season, we always say, oh, it's going to be a 10 and 2 year, you know, something like that. And then, you know, by week three, reality sets in. <laughs> and, and we go, like, okay, well, I guess we're going to go up against Indiana. And, uh, you know, even though we're coming off a bye, we don't, Scott Frost doesn't perform historically well uh, after a bye week. So uh, I guess it's maybe 21 17. I don't know. <laughs> I love when uh, we have like it's a big game. You know, we're playing a really highly ranked opponent, and we're outgunned, and you know we know we're probably 
not going to win the game, but you and I would come up with these ridiculous end-of-game situations where we'd pull out a win. <laughs> Just like, yeah, yeah, about that. No, I tried to do this objectively when I was writing them down. Well, that's Super your first mistake. <laughs> and here's the thing. I still have us going 10 and 2. So I'm still drinking. I love it. I love it. Perfect. And I think I know uh, what those two may be, but we'll uh, get to that next week. Hoss, before we go, uh, we would be uh, doing a disservice and a dishonor and quite honestly, disrespect to the fall sports program on campus that is actually good. And and that's the uh, Husker volleyball team the uh i want to make sure i get the letters right because it's not just ncaa it's the avca coaches poll uh came out earlier this week and nebraska is ranked number one in that preseason coaches poll uh texas uh hmm? we're good at something we are unfortunately two of our best are wearing burnt orange now and yeah. uh, and Texas is uh, preseason number two. We're also, excuse me, also we're receiving some first place votes. Wisconsin is number three, also receiving some first place votes. Then it's Louisville, Minnesota, Pittsburgh, Ohio State, Washington, Georgia Tech, BYU. Of the 25 uh, teams on the list, now you'll have to forgive me, I am not, I didn't count this up before, but it's one, two, three, four. Seven, seven teams out of twenty-five. I think, if unless I missed one, which is possible, I apologize. I, I didn't go to school for maths. I went to school for radios. Um, but seven out of twenty-five—that's uh, half of the Big Ten. And if you included, uh, you know, the future uh, Big Ten programs, UCLA is in the top fifteen. USC is in the top twenty-five. Boy, the conference can just get stronger. Uh, and stronger for volleyball. And uh, it's going to be interesting in, in this season, certainly in the future uh, of what uh, Nebraska volleyball and Big Ten volleyball and, and, and college volleyball is going to look like as that landscape changes. Uh, down the road, we'll have to have Beth on. Uh, she's our ace, uh, pun intended, maybe, uh, volleyball reporter uh, for coordination.com. And uh, she can fill us in when we get into the season about all the news and notes uh, and, and all the happenings that are going on with John Cook's program. But Haas, as we have kind of uh, established, this has been fun. Always is. It's, yes. it's great catching up with you, buddy. Yeah. Hey, are, are we going to do Wednesday night recordings all through the season? Here, Thursday nights? Like, what are we thinking here? Yeah, so it, when you used to be on the show, I had like a regular day job. And I would be home. I would be home by five or five thirty. Mm-hmm. And now my weeks vary. However, if you want, I can make sure. If, if Wednesdays are the nights for you, by the way, folks, we hope you're enjoying this uh, 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 production meeting here on the show. If behind the scenes, guys, behind we're pulling the curtain back a little bit. Um, but if if you would prefer, I can make sure that Wednesday evenings. I mean, like, I always preferred Thursday nights because, you know, it's almost the weekend, you know, drinking some brewskis, some Coors Banquet beers on a Thursday night while doing this podcast. 
But if it works better to do it Wednesday because it's a little easier for you to get the write up and everything ready to roll Friday, let's go with Wednesday. I'm a man of the people. I appreciate you. Uh, from that standpoint, so uh, again, we, we are recording this Wednesday, the 17th. It's almost 10 o'clock. So if we were doing this Thursday, I would still have to just, you know, as soon as we're done recording, I'd have to be sitting down, start getting the audio, start getting the video all processed, recorded. Hopefully, John would be uh, lucid and awake and, and able to uh, do the write up while I'm doing all the all the fun stuff. The law. This is the truth. The part that takes the absolute longest is uploading the video to YouTube. Uh, and I, there will be times where I will start the upload and go to bed, and in, you know cross all the T's and dot the I's at six in the morning when I come downstairs. Um, that's why I like Wednesday nights. Give me a little breathing room instead of, instead of recording at nine o'clock uh, on Thursday, I can be sitting down and doing the production stuff. I'm also flexible. Nothing's etched in stone. I'm sure throughout the course of the season, we'll be getting together on some Thursday nights. I'm here for you, buddy. Sounds good. That- you know what? I look, I look so forward to, Finally having, you know, it, we're, I don't want this to be, I wouldn't want this to be a weekly thing and just hear me out because this sounds like I don't want to be on the podcast. That's not what I'm nope. saying. <laughs> I wouldn't want it to be a weekly thing, but if we get a really, really big win, I'm talking, and you know what kind of teams I'm talking about on the schedule, a really big one. We need to have like an immediate post-game reaction show, like that kind of thing. We do that now. I know, I know, but like I've never been a part of it. So like based on schedule, you know, like what I'm doing for the game, where I'm at, you know, like if I'm just watching at home, for instance, we pull off something big. Oh yeah, I'm hopping on. Maybe I'll have a better laptop, not look like I'm sitting in Guantanamo <laughs> Bay you know, on this thing. But yeah, yeah. Celebratory. We have we haven't had much to celebrate. It'd be like Kevin Malone in the office. It's just nice to win one. <laughs> I uh, um, so John has been doing the the post game reaction videos. Of course, made him kind of a little uh, uh, famous last year <laughs> uh, as, as he went viral. That that's still circulating around almost a year later, which is tremendous. Uh, but we it, he uh, drafted me, recruited me to do some of those as well. And, and he said, "I'm not going to be around." I said, "I've got thoughts." He said. You go out and sit outside by a tree and and do that, but it's always better to to just have have the show, you know, have uh, the reaction uh-huh. show. So uh, I've still got all the pieces, all of the, uh, um, the the music and things like that. So we'll 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 be doing that for sure this year. I'm I'm looking forward. I'm I'm looking. It's it's just nice to to be actually legit talking Nebraska football uh, uh, with with the season eight days away. Bring uh, it on! It makes makes me think of how we got through some of those off seasons. Back in the day, you know, just what do you know? How's it going? You know, basically. And, and I was thinking about this too. And real quick before we uh, head out here, folks, is uh, 2017. We we took time off in the off season, Brian and I. And uh, looking back, you know, that was his last off season. And I'm really kicking myself that that we didn't spend more time, devote more time to uh, the podcast in the off season. Just you know, just to have fun, just to BS, just to, you know, do these what if scenarios. Um, I, so I'm, I'm, you know, I, I just Facebook memories or whatever said, yeah, we're, we're back at it. You know, we decided to, to, to get another show out there, 
you know, a couple weeks before the season type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, went after he, you know, passed, of course, uh, and, and you came on like we haven't we missed we took a week off a couple weeks ago uh, because you weren't available. Todd wasn't available. And John and I were like, man, we, we couldn't we couldn't make the schedules work. It just it was fine. Um, but other than that, like, I'm pretty sure we've gone. We've rolled every week now for about five years. So long time. It, it's been well worth it. We've we've certainly uh, we, we've had a, a few ups, but a lot more downs. Only <laughs> uh, hey, way to go. That's right. That's right. When when you're when you're rock bottom, you can only see one direction. So uh, we're not rock. What's that? Stop digging. That's right. Yeah, Yeah, Scott, put the shovel down. (laughs) All right, Uh, that'll do it for this episode of the Five Heart Podcast, folks. We do appreciate you hanging out with uh, with us again. Uh, Whether you found us on YouTube or subscribe to the podcast on uh, Apple Podcast or Google Play. Spotify, Stitcher, another one probably. Uh, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Uh, send some feedback. Throw throw a comment down on YouTube. I do look at them. Uh, I don't. I don't take them personally. Um, so you know, John will be back next week. He won't be at the helm. Sorry, YouTube commenter. Uh, but for <laughs> for the man of the hour, uh, Hoss Reuter. I'm Greg Mahachko. This is the Five Heart Podcast, where we remind each and every week that five heart is all the heart you need. Hoss? Go Big Red and win the damn offseason. Yeah, metal.